Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Woo Wings, a virtual restaurant concept from the man himself, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with your Uber Eats or Postmates app. Woo Wings is now open in Nashville, San Antonio, Jacksonville, Florida, as well as Huntsville and Tuscaloosa in Alabama, with many more locations coming soon. Try the only chicken wings worthy of carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion. Tell them, Nate. Wings! Legendary flavors! World championship wings! Woo! Woo wings! Yeah! Woo woo! Listen, man, I know it sounds too good to be true, but I want you to just do me a favor and run on over to savewithconrad.com. Get yourself a quick quote. My man, Andy M just left us a five-star review over at conradreviews.com. And he had this to say, the effort and communication from Josh was above and beyond. We ran into several unexpected hiccups along the way, but Josh kept us informed and kept looking for options to get things done. In the end, we were still able to refinance to a 15 year loan, where we're going to be able to pay it off in 10. And we took enough cash out to pay off our credit cards, my truck loan, and even buy my wife, her very first new vehicle. We're going to save over $500 a month from what we would have been paying without the refinance. We can't thank everyone enough. Now guys, that right there is a win, win, win situation. Let me explain over the last couple of years, your house is probably worth more than ever. Now, what you do with that equity is up to you. And what I'm going to recommend is we do what our man Andy did. Andy took himself from a 30-year loan down to 15 years, but he's planning to pay it off in 10. Now, how can he afford to do that? We got rid of all his credit card debt, just like that. We got rid of his truck loan, and we even got him enough cash to get his wife a new vehicle. The result, cheaper monthly payments. How does that happen? How do you get a new car, pay off a truck, and get rid of your credit cards and cut years off your loan? You go to savewithconrad.com. We're going to get you cheaper monthly payments, and how's this for starters? No house payments for the next two months. That's right. You can skip your next two payments. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And buddy, if we can't help you save some cash, we won't waste your time. And here's the best part. We don't say no. We say not yet, but here's how. 
I don't care if you were late here or there. Maybe you had a bankruptcy back in the day. Maybe you were late on a credit card. We're going to help you figure out how to get in the situation that your family needs now and long-term. We want to be your mortgage advisor for life at savewithconrad.com. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She booted. There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared. I ain't scared to shut him. You, Bruce. I love talk about um the next segment here on the show um steve austin's going to interrupt from the crowd as vince jr and lawler are talking about what's going to happen on this monday night raw and they're debuting a new broadcasting desk here and austin's going to say something like there's no way they can hold a raw at msg without him and uh, somebody's going to get their ass stone cold stunnered and then they show floyd patterson head of the new york state athletic commission and Highlights from the one night only pay-per-view over the past weekend with still shots of Shawn Michaels beating the British Bulldog are going to air here. And then Vince would interview Undertaker in the middle of the ring. And he's going to reveal that the winner of the cage match at Bad Blood, which is the upcoming pay-per-view in your house, is going to face Bret Hart at Survivor Series. And Vince said not only would there be a roof on the cage, but the underside of the ring would be thoroughly searched to prevent anyone from popping up through the floor and Shawn Michaels interrupts and, uh, Michael says something like, is it my imagination or is the WWF once again, trying to give the heartbreak kid the shaft. And this has been a bit of a collision course with these two dating back to SummerSlam. When did you guys, you know, so Sean is the referee at SummerSlam, the errant chair shot cost the undertaker, the title shot that sets up in your house ground zero. Lots of craziness, sort of a screw job finish, um, a schmoz, if you will. And now we're going to eliminate all that with this hell in a cell concept. Tell me what you remember about how this idea for this match comes together when you first saw it and why undertaker Sean was the right match for it. Well, looking for, you know, you're, you're sitting there and trying to think of different things and different gimmicks, different what, what's going to make this thing unique. We've done everything, man. We've done a casket match. Felt like we had 
done everything there was to do. So Vince was looking for something new. Um, we all came up with different deals. And I, I don't know if it was Cornette or Russo that came up with the idea. Boy, there's some fodder right now that probably get everybody talking. But I don't remember which one actually came up with it. But the idea was a cage match with the top on the cage. And then it became what what would be better than that? You know, how, how do you make it cooler? The, the guys were like, if you put us in a cage and there's a top on it, it restricts what they can do. What if we had a cage that surrounded the entire uh, corral area that we call everything outside the ring where the pads are? Hence, man, this, this structure, Hell in a Cell, was created. And the creative folks came up with uh, drawings and they built it. And it, it was done, but it was all stemming from what can we do different? What can we do new that has never been done before? You know, they'd had matches, cage matches with tops on them before, but never a structure like Hell in a Cell. So this was to be able to get one more match. <laughs> you know, get that one more match. Because Sean and Taker, you can have that match every fucking night and never get tired of it. So this was another way to get that match in a different way. Also, it was a tremendous way to debut Kane. So you throw all of these things into the hat and, well, shit, you got hell in a cell. So it was a collaborative effort, but it was out of the need to get one more match and let's do something different. Let's get to the hell in a cell. Uh, before we do that, we should mention that they're doing an interview backstage with uh, Doc Hendricks, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, China, and Rick Rude. We've got everybody out there. And uh, Michaels very sarcastically says this match isn't for his coveted European title and that it will stay with him. And uh, he wipes his head. And he's sort of making light of the title, or so it seems, with that comment. And then when Hunter goes to say something, uh, they cut away and do a crowd shot instead. What do you remember of this interview? It feels uh, feels like there's more to it than what we see here. What do you mean more to it? I, I thought that the interview was great. It was exactly what we what we were building to, and it was to build that rivalry with Brett and Sean and for Sean to be able to go into November talking about the only reason that Brett now is actually in the main event is because he's with Sean. That was part, that was part of the story. That was part of the whole issue. Um, I thought it was excellent. I, I laughed my ass off through the whole thing. Just loving every bit of it. Whose idea was it to put Undertaker and Sean together? Obviously, you have a natural story from the SummerSlam angle with Sean working as the referee and costing Undertaker the title. But are you guys just sitting around one day and say, wow, we've never put them together. What would that look like? And that's 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 it. Thinking, thinking about just great matchups and something new when you're looking for opponents for the Undertaker, which brings us here. You, we didn't have a lot of opponents for The Undertaker. And we hadn't done anything with Sean yet. So it was an opportunity to put those two together. Let's see how they how they gelled. And holy cow, man, we had magic. Let's talk a little bit about the backstage situation at the time. Because Sean Michaels, according to the rumor and innuendo, had a lot of heat with the click back in the day. But now most of those guys are gone, except 
Triple H is still here. Um, we know what the backstage relationship was like with Brett and Sean. Do you know if Sean had any significant heat with anyone else in the locker room or the office at the time? At this at this time, Sean was kind of keeping to himself with Hunter and doing his own thing. Sean always had residual heat just for the way that he did things. Uh, in particular, like the, the interview that he did, people took that as a shoot. They took that as Sean. Oh, God, Sean's just trying to get under Brett's skin as a shoot. They, they forget that this is entertainment, folks, right. and that we're telling a story here. And the fact that we're telling this story on television, shouldn't that tell you that it's a story? Uh, this is what we're doing. The problem was, was Brett took it personal. Brett took it seriously. and felt, Oh, he, he's saying those things to get under my skin. Yes, Brett, he is. He's he's saying those things to get under the heartbreak kid, saying those things to get under the hitman's skin. It's a story. And all too often people take what is said on television as, oh, well, that's personal and that's real and they're just trying to get to me. When in reality, it's all about making money and trying to make a story more interesting. And if the performers in the back believe it, and they're selling it, then you know the audience is going to believe it and sell it the same way. All right, boys, the nights are getting longer, but the breeze isn't the only thing that's getting stiff. You know the deal. This episode and all of our episodes are brought to you by Blue Chew. Guys, we all know the confidence in life can take you far, and that's especially true in the bedroom when it's time to uh, <clears throat> step up to the plate. That's where Blue Chew comes in. Mick Foley and I call it a hot tag for your wiener. Bruce and I call it Blue Chew. It's a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in chewable form and at a fraction of the cost. Now you can take these dudes anytime, day or night, so plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, the process is simple. Y'all just sign up at bluechew.com. You'll be consulting with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. And here's the best part, gang. It's all done online. That means no visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversation, no waiting in line at the pharmacy. You see, Blue Chew's tablets are made right here in the USA. They prepare and ship directly to your door, all in a discreet package. And man, I've heard over the years, women say something like there's nothing sexier than confidence. Well, Blue Chew can help you get that confidence where it counts. You're going to put on a five-star performance. How about that? So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, chew it and do it. Have better sex. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code WRESTLE at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's bluechew.com. The promo code is WRESTLE to receive your very first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And we want to thank Blue Chew for sponsoring this podcast from day one. Guys, please support our sponsors. If you haven't already, see what all the fuss is about. You're going to love it. Go to bluechew.com. Try it for free. Let's pay the $5 shipping with our promo code wrestle this mother's day and father's day. Look no further for the perfect gift than paintyourlife.com. It's worked for me every time. And when I say every time, I mean it. I've used paintyourlife.com to bring tears to the eyes of my mom, my dad, even my father-in-law. And right now I'm ordering one for my mother-in-law all from paintyourlife.com. My mother-in-law's life is her dog, Missy. 
And this year, my wife and I knew exactly what to get my mother-in-law for mother's day, a painting of Missy. It really is that simple too. All we needed was a, a picture from our phone. Boom. We're up and running. You see, paintyourlife.com can really create a hand painted portrait to fit almost any budget. And it's the perfect gift for your mother, your father, or both. I've used it, as I said, on almost every person in my life. I've given these to my wife. I've given it to my cousin, my mom, my dad, my father-in-law. If I'm looking to give a truly meaningful, personable gift, I know the paintyourlife.com has my back and they're going to make it easy. You can go ahead and start the entire process in less than five minutes. And what's really cool about paintyourlife.com is they can even combine photos. Maybe you want to put two people who never met in one of your favorite vacation spots. You can do that. Just upload the photos. Bam. You're good to go. Maybe grandpa never got to meet his grandson, but paintyourlife.com that can become a reality. You can put people and places together. Even if they've never been there, you pick the artist, you pick the medium. Do you want oil, acrylic, watercolor, charcoal? You can even go ahead and pick out an awesome frame. The whole process to get started, as I said, takes less than five minutes and you can actually get your painting in as little as two weeks, but you work hand in hand with the artist to get every detail. Perfect. If you're looking to get those waterworks going to have your mom or your dad tear that paper and just almost be overcome with emotion. That's what I got. And I've never gotten that reaction to a gift card. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at paintyourlife.com. There's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. Now, to get this special offer, just text the word WRESTLE to 87204. That's WRESTLE to 87204. Text WRESTLE to 87204. Paint Your Life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. What was the feeling on Hunter Hearst Helmsley at the time? Did he have any heat backstage? Did Vince see him as a player? Did Vince think at this point he was a mid-card guy? Uh, What's everybody thinking about Hunter Hearst Helmsley at this point? I think for the most part, he had kind of come out of the doghouse uh, since the the whole... um, whatever incident that they did uh, in the garden. Uh, he, he was out of the doghouse and he was coming into his own. And Vince felt that if he was going to get over, he was going to get over with Sean. So there were high hopes for him. There were people, uh, Jim Cornette in particular, that felt that Hunter was a mid-card guy at best. But he was having the matches that he had with Cactus Jack. He was tearing the houses down and he was showing that, Hey, I can go. And I think Hunter was trying to get out of Sean's shadow a little bit, but he also knew that he needed Sean to get it, to get in the spotlight. Right. So they complimented each other and we were hoping that man, we've, we've got another star out of this thing. Let's get to the match. Uh, they say the winner of this match will go on to Survivor Series to face the WWF champion. Shawn Michaels is out first, and in tow are Hunter Hearst Helmsley, China, and Rick Rude. Then The Undertaker comes out, and uh, Taker dominates the early part of the match. Uh, and a few minutes into it, Shawn was yelling at Vince, and Vince said something like, everything is my fault these days. Just kind of an interesting comment, because we all know what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, Meltzer's pretty high on the match. It goes 29 minutes and 59 seconds. 
uh, and he called it an absolute classic must-see, probably five-star match. Michaels did everything, and then even more than everything. Um, what do you think of the match? I know we're going to break down some of the different spots, but watching this for the first time in a long time, does this still hold up as much as you imagine? 10,000 stars. I mean, it's really hard to argue. This is one of the best matches in company history, I mean, and probably one of the best matches I've ever seen. You know, it, it, it's you and I talked. Uh, you and I were talking about something else when I was watching this match. And I said to you, God, Undertaker hadn't, when I was at the point, Undertaker hadn't even made his entrance yet. And I said, God, Shawn Michaels is so good. This match, from start to finish, from the entrances, Shawn made everything mean something. From the time that he asked Hunter and China and, and Rick Rude to get out of the ring so the cage could come down, to Sean selling the cage coming down, to Undertaker getting in the ring, and the methodical way that Undertaker stalked Sean. And they never they did not rush anything. It was all just methodical. There was no wasted movement. There was no wasted BS just to do something to do it. Every single movement in that match by every participant meant something and was pulled off to a T. The the simple just psychology of Undertaker not having to rush. Sean had nowhere to go. He's locked inside of a cell. And... Taker not rushing and stalking him, walking slowly, just, you know, uh, slowly he walked. And then Sean trying to flee, and then Sean selling on his face. Oh, my God, I've got nowhere to go. What the hell am I going to do? Do I climb up the cage? Oh, shit, there's a, there's a top up there. It was put together to sell every single element of that. We even sold, you know, the, the, the early bump with the cameraman in Sean's face. So now you know there's cameramen inside the cell. Right. And you know that Sean's already frustrated with them. My God, he said, get out of my fucking face. Ooh, we weren't supposed to hear that. Right. That's Sean being an asshole because, you know, he's really a dick in real life. He does those things just to piss Vince off. And then, you know, later on, it, it was when the, the cameraman got taken out. It was, ooh, the lines of reality were blurred so much that everybody sat there and went, is it real? Is it not? Is it entertainment? And it was real entertainment. Some of the spots in this that really are just something to see. Uh, Undertaker throws Sean over the top rope to the floor, and Sean lands on his hip on the outside. That's not something anybody should ever do. They do a powerbomb spot on the outside of the ring, and Sean, to sort of counteract it, holds the cage and starts punching The Undertaker. But then The Undertaker manages to tear the grip loose and then sort of slam him into the cage. They do the uh, pile driver onto the steps, with Sean delivering the pile driver onto the steps. When they finally get out of the ring, uh, before they do the table spot, uh, or of course, everybody remembers they go to the top of the cage uh, and then 
uh, he's throwing Sean off of the side, and then Sean, kind of standing on the side of the cage, has his hand stomped, and then he does what is at that time probably the most spectacular bump in the company's history. Right, Bruce? Absolutely. And and you go back even before that. You go you go to the bump with the cameraman, and Sean, you know, beating the hell out of the cameraman. So we've got to get people. We've got to now unlock the cage to get people in to get the cameraman out, which this is Sean's opportunity to get the hell out of the cage. He can escape. He sees an opening. He gets out. Taker chases him down. Sean does a drop kick on concrete to the Undertaker. And, you know, that gets that gets missed. And then he, he goes for the second drop kick and Taker catches him. And that's where Sean takes the, the bump into the cage to where he comes back up all bloodied and just uh, bleeding like a stuck pig. The climb up the up the uh, cage, the way that Undertaker had his foot, it, it just was so masterfully done. It wasn't, it wasn't a spot fest. And then Taker climbing up that damn cage <laughs> looked like a cat going up the cage. And again, they didn't have to rush. They got on top of the cage and took their time. And the shots from up from uh, Krista Fury was the cameraman, the handheld cameraman that was in the ring with his camera pointing up through the top of the cage, and you see the blood dripping down from Sean's face onto the camera. And you can even hear the cameraman say, oh, shit, when the when the blood hits. It, it was all those little nuances. And then, as you just lay it out, the bump. Sean taking the bump off the side of the cage through the, the table was spectacular. And Taker didn't rush it. Sean didn't rush it. They went through, took another bump on the table, and then now time to get back in. Now you're going to, you know, now we're going home. Now you're going to die. And then the coup de grace, the finish. Welcome to Fresh Ball Fall, y'all. It's the season of pumpkin spice and making sure your crotch looks nice. That means sipping cider in a fall breeze and using Manscaped products to trim your balls with ease. That's right. Today's show is brought to you by Manscaped, a company here to make sure that your foliage isn't the only thing shedding its excess leaves. Heck, even Mother Nature knows it's time to lose the excess clutter for fall. So why not join the 6 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the promo code STW. Now, whether you're brand new or already with us at Manscaped, you can use the new crown jewel of care for your family jewels. Talking about that brand new platinum package 4.0 with this fantastic package. You can align your entire hygiene routine in one felt swoop. It's a 10 part platinum plus package. Let's run through what all's in here. All right. You got the lawnmower 4.0 body trimmer. Everybody knows about that. We've been talking about the lawnmower forever. This is the 4.0 daddy, the latest and greatest. How about the weed whacker nose and ear hair trimmer? Maybe my favorite, not only because it has proprietary advanced skin safe technology, which means I'm never going to tug at my delicate parts or holes. It's also waterproof by the way. So I can do it in or out of the shower. I can do whatever I want to do with this thing, but most importantly, buddy, whenever Casio kid comes over, I leave it by the recliner. I just throw it in my nose and we get in a staring contest. Your friends will not be ready when you start grooming right in front of them in public, if you will. Come on. All right. Maybe don't do that. Uh, in addition to uh, upgrading all of this stuff, you can even upgrade that shower routine, daddy. 
How about the ultra premium body wash or my favorite, the ultra premium two in one shampoo plus conditioner. It's going to have your skin and hair feeling hydrated, smelling fresh. And Hey, have I mentioned the aluminum free ultra premium deodorant? That's right. Aluminum free. And no, it's not pumpkin spice. It's like cologne quality fragrance, daddy. But when your Bruce's age, it's time to talk about that crop reviver. You see his boys are hitting the water when he takes a plop. And, uh, thanks to manscapes crop reviver, maybe that'll not be the case much longer. In the meantime, though, I think everybody listening to this knows that Tony Schiavone has got some old stinky balls. Well, he did now with the ball deodorant, the crop preserver, even manscapes helping Tony Schiavone. Let's round out this platinum package 4.0. They got two free gifts in there, your boxers, and even the shed travel bag, the travel bag I'm still using to this day, had it for years. Love it. You will too. Get the platinum package this fall. These products are guaranteed to be hits for your dangly bits. Go right now to manscaped.com. Get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code STW. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. When you use the code STW manscaped, clear out the leaves. It's your tree trunks. Time to shine. Come on. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Before you get there, um, the slingshot from the outside into the cage where Sean gets color, is that one of the best um, moments for that? I don't know. I know you get weird when I talk about it. But Sean got so much blood here, and the visual of him just covered in blood, thrown from one end of the arena to the other in every possible way against the cage on top of the cage, off the cage. And the way he does it on the way up to where as soon as he hits the cage, I mean, Sean's one of the greatest, if not the greatest wrestler of all time. And this match proves it. Does it not wholeheartedly? And you look at little things like that, that explain it all. And I, I dare say, even even for a cage match, you know, hey, I loved it, and I'm 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 an old school guy that that loved a lot of blood and everything. It was a lot of blood, yeah, maybe too much, but at the same time, for that match, for the first Hell in a Cell, it set the tone and it set the bar extremely high for anybody to try and follow that. Well, let's talk about. Um... Before we get to what we're going to go to, I guess, there's lots of rumor and innuendo about who the cameraman was. Do you recall who the cameraman was in this match? I think it was just a local guy. Yeah, an independent worker. Um, And then whose idea was the Hell in a Cell? You kept saying it's not a cage match, it's a Hell in a Cell when we first started recording here which is obviously a Vince McMahon-ism where he doesn't want to call it a cage. He wants to call it a hell in a cell. Did he, was he the guy who originally named it? I believe it was Vince's name, uh, Vince McMahon's name that to come up because it was, it had to do with the undertaker 
and you wanted to make the structure ominous, dark and ominous. So um, I believe I'm almost 99% sure it was Vince McMahon who came up with the hell in a cell. They wanted to make it different. They wanted to be able to make it so that they could work on the outside of the ring, but still have nowhere to go. And a cage match can be so restrictive because all you've got is the inside of the ring to work. Um, but then it, as they got there, it was it was Pat Patterson who was like, "Wow, oh, I don't know why we got to get out of the cage. Why can't we get out of this? Because it's a fucking cage. It's it's a hell in a cell. We're talking about this this monstrous structure that the only you know there's only one way in and one way out, and, and you can't escape the thing once you're locked in. Um, but Sean had this idea of taking this damn bump. He had to get out of the cage to do it. And Pat came up with the, eh, what if somebody gets hurt inside? We, are, we must get them out. And when the door is open, the silly little bastard, he sees any that bang, and I'm out. And I'll fuck you, Undertaker. But then he comes, he's got nowhere to go. He climbs up to the top. And Undertaker, boom, off the cage. So it was it was Sean wanting to take the bump and Sean wanting Sean wanting to do more and he wanted to do it all around the structure of the cage. So as much as I hated it, I loved it. I loved the execution of it. Um so let's talk about it. Finally they're both in the cage and uh, after the ref bump the Undertaker uses a choke slam off the middle rope and a hard chair shot to the top of the head, and the lights go out. And Paul Bear comes out. And uh, can you recreate the call that Vince McMahon has here? Probably not because I hated it. it, it that that must be. Oh my! It, that's gotta be Kane. That's gotta be Kane. Paul Bear's. It, it's gotta be Kane. Why didn't you like we, that? What's that? Why didn't you like that? I want, I, I, first of all, I wanted silence. I wanted, who is that? And then I want, I, I just wanted the theater of the mind. Yeah, it's got to be Kane. But how do you know that? I mean, I, I didn't want it to be Kane until Undertaker and Kane had that look in the ring. Right. And Kane did the puppy dog tilt and Taker did the Kane and then say, Oh my God, I think he just said that's got And then do it. I wanted the anticipation to last that entire time from the music, the blackout and the music until the face-off in the ring to where it's Undertaker who is the first one to say, to look, at, to look in his eyes and go, Kane. And the commentators are saying, oh, my God, that's Kane. So I think, I think Vince just you know felt it at the time and felt it needed more, and it, and it needed needed to, to people to know that was Kane. I think everybody knew it was Kane. Right. I just didn't think he needed to say it as many times as they said it before he got to the ring. I don't know why, but it tickles me that that gets you fired up. 
It does. Well, it's just, it's storytelling, and, and it's it's what they do now. Right. As you notice now, a lot of times they they do stay silent, and they do let the story just develop in front of your very eyes. And the feeling was was that the the revelation and the unveiling was when Undertaker looks in his brother's eyes and realizes he's alive. Let's um, let's talk about the end of the match here, and then we'll go back and kind of set the stage for Kane. So Kane, of course, here uses a tombstone on The Undertaker, which allows Sean to score the pin. And there's rumor and innuendo that, and you can, I guess, see it when it happens. As Kane picks up The Undertaker with the tombstone, Maybe his mask moved, and he couldn't really see exactly where he was. He's supposed to be giving this tombstone towards the hard camera, but he pivots a few times trying to find it before delivering it. Uh, do you know exactly what happened? Well, no. He just got he got him up, and he when he got him up, they were facing a profile on the hard cameras. He just had to turn to get to the hard camera. He just, when he picked him up, instead of picking him up, and having him set on the hard camera, he picked him up and got him set and then realized he needed to turn to the hard camera. All right, guys, you know, by now that I love my chili sleep. Well, here's some late breaking news for you. Sleep me is the new home for chili sleep. It's the same great sleep we've experienced with chili sleep, but under a new name, sleep me now makes the coldest and most comfortable sleep systems available. Sleep Me is going to help you create the environment that meets your body's natural need for lower core body temperatures, promoting deeper, more restorative sleep. This has been the case for me. I knew to crank down the AC in my house. I knew to hang a foot out from under the cover. I knew I wanted to keep flipping my pillow to get the cool side. I knew I slept better when I was cool. Here's what I didn't know. That was not getting the job done. Now that my bed is cool, thanks to Sleep Me, now that my bed is cool, Buddy, I'm having bright, vivid, colorful dreams. I've never had that before. I'm also sleeping better than ever. I'm more productive than ever. I wake up and I don't feel tired. Can you even imagine that? Well, the Uller has made it happen for me. Let me explain. Chili Sleep makes the Uller, the Cube, and the Doc Pro sleep system. No matter what you choose, you're looking at a temperature-controlled mattress topper that fits over your existing mattress to provide you your ideal sleep temperature. Now it does use water, but it's not like putting water in your bed, y'all. It's not a water bed, but water has this amazing thermal property where you can heat it up or cool it down. Let me explain. My wife wants to get into a warm bed, but then she doesn't want to get all hot and sweaty. She wants to get cooler as she sleeps, but then she wants to warm up to wake up. Her bed does that every single night. She's even got it automated. Not me. I want to go to sleep cool. I want to wake up cool and I want to be cooler than she wants to be. Our bed, the same bed, is at different temperatures thanks to Sleep Me. It's fantastic. This is going to help you get the perfect sleep. I mean, deep, cold sleep. Really imagine if you had like a smart thermostat for your bed. Well, that's what this is. Sleep Me is going to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, and give you the confidence and energy to power through your day. And, buddy, I'm so excited to talk about this brand new Doc Pro sleep system. It's got two times more cold power than their other models. Now it's whisper quiet and it has a tubeless mattress pad design that allows for five times more cooling contact. And again, you can pair all of this with the app. It'll be automatic in your bed. It's like a, 
a life hack. Sincerely, head on over right now to sleep.me forward slash wrestle to learn more and save 25% off the purchase of any new Doc Pro, Cube, or Uller sleep system. This offer is available exclusively for something to wrestle with listeners and only for a limited time. That's sleep, S-L-E-E-P dot M-E slash wrestle to take advantage of our exclusive discounts and wake up feeling refreshed every day. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, let's talk a little bit about, obviously, Sean gets the win here with Kane delivering this tombstone pile driver. Sean throws the arm over. The ref makes a very slow one, two, three, and the bloody beaten and battered, uh, Sean Michaels has somehow come out victorious. And now he's not only the European champion, but he's heading to survivor series to challenge for the world title. Um, Lots of stuff going on here. The blood dropping on the camera through the cage, the cameraman spot, ripping the door off, the Undertaker. Uh, obviously, this isn't the last match between the Undertaker and Shawn Michaels. As you may recall, that following January, they would have a casket match at the Royal Rumble, and that's where Shawn would really ultimately injure his back and wind up causing a, a big pause in his wrestling career. And I think most of us remember the two classic WrestleMania matches they had at WrestleMania 25 and 26, most of which people call the match at 25, one of the greatest wrestling matches of all time. So if for whatever reason, you've never seen this, I can't encourage you enough. Go out of your way to watch this hell in a cell match from bad blood. One of the best matches, if not the best match from 1997, uh, and a favorite of mine still after all these years, my favorite hell in a cell match. Uh, as a reminder, the month before at Ground Zero is when we first saw Undertaker do the the uh, the tope, the dive over the top rope, and now here we are at Hell in a Cell. So these guys keep turning the volume up every single time they wrestle, and this match was masterful. Uh, nothing that Bruce and I say to put it over here is strong enough. Go watch it if you haven't already. Let's talk a little bit about the genesis, though, of the Hell in a Cell cage, the actual design. Uh, Cornette has gone on record as saying that he was always a big fan of one of the cage concepts they did down in Memphis. So down there, they had a big cage that would go not just on the ring, but around the ring, which would allow, uh, you know, you, you could go under the ring. People could come out from under the ring. You could drag weapons out. And he also liked the war games cage because it had a top on it. And obviously that's pretty popular. Uh, because War Games is coming back after all these years to the NXT TakeOver before Survivor Series. So it was his idea, according to Cornette, to combine the two. And he liked this as a way to debut Kane because they had done something similar to this in Knoxville years prior to this when Doug Furness, uh, who was a strongman, came down to the ring and ripped the door off a cage to make the save. Uh, so Cornette is suggesting here that Kane should debut by ripping the door off to really get his power and strength over and then go ahead and have a face-to-face with the Undertaker and tombstone him. Uh, how do you remember the actual mechanics of the debut here? 
we're going to do a Hell in a Cell, and the Hell in a Cell is really to debut Kane. Is that the idea? It was, yeah, it was where we were going to debut Kane. It was a way to get Undertaker uh, or Sean over Undertaker without Sean just having to beat the Undertaker. And it was a way to debut this new character and this new foe for the Undertaker. I guess it was my, perfect. My point is, though, the actual concept of a match, the actual hell in a cell, was designed so Kane could rip the door off the cage. Like, here's this new monstrous thing that uh, the WWE has constructed, and this new debuting powerhouse can destroy it, too? No, it was no. It just happened that way. It happened that the, the hell in the cell and then how do you get Kane involved? And it's, well, he can rip the damn door off. And Jim Cornette was, was a part of that whole, the whole thing with the hell in the cell and the creation of, of the cage itself and, and the match and the whole nine yards. And Jimmy, without a doubt, a hundred percent involved in that. And a lot of that was his idea. Um, I don't remember the, the furnace thing at all. Uh, you can go back hell if you wanted to. What was what was the name of the 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 guy that WCW had go down and get the cage? RoboCop. RoboCop, yeah. Yeah, no, we ripped it off from RoboCop. No, just kidding, folks. I need no, that. We didn't. I need that to be the thing that RoboCop was uh, the original Kane. That Kane is a is a RoboCop ripoff. That's hilarious. One hundred percent. Yes, I, I I'm, I mean, I'm he's a big, big RoboCop fan. He's a big guy. He's slow and prodding. He had lifts in his shoes. Um, he had a half mask. He didn't sell much of shit. Uh, and he bends steel. He's bending steel. He's running for mayor. RoboCop's running for mayor. Yeah. I'm just kidding. So let's let's talk about that. Um, so Hell in the Cell is an idea that had, I mean, freestyle when you think you guys first start talking about the concept of Hell in the Cell. Is this something that has been talked about for years? Or a month out, six weeks out? No, probably two months out when we're, when we're getting to the, to the first Sean Undertaker match and then the return. What do you do for a return? Is it a cage match? Do we do, you know, what is there to do something different? And the, the different uh, incarnations of the cage is what came up in the evolution of Hell in a Cell. Seems kind of silly, but is somebody sitting around drawing a sketch of this cage? No. So probably uh, probably Kevin Dunn's people when they had it built. So are you just who's describing this cage to whom when when it's going into production? I believe and I'm trying to think, uh this is a living room conversation and I want to say that we had it on speakerphone with Vince McMahon, Cornette, myself. I believe Russo was there too, and uh, Vince explaining to uh, to Kevin because at that time Kevin or Steve Taylor maybe uh, exactly what he wanted, and this is what we need constructed. It's got to go all the way around the mats on the outside of the ring, and it has a top. And uh, I want it to be huge. Um, at that time, you know, it was so damn high. We never thought of anybody taking a bump off the damn thing. Right. The original concept was to keep people in, uh, not <laughs> nobody getting on top of the thing and, and doing these crazy bumps. So 
you know, as, as we got closer to it and everything, and we knew that that was where Kane was going to debut. And as time went on, it just, it became that, but no, it was the, the hell in a cell was not designed for something for Kane to destroy at all. It, it actually became a problem is how do you get now Kane involved in this damn thing? It's like, well, he can, he's a monster. He can rip the door off the damn cage. Um, you know what, what people didn't see and what was supposed to happen as well was when, and, and you look back on when you watch it and you realize how important concussions are now. And especially with Kane, we, we added the big bang concussions when his flames would go off. But originally when the music started and we got into the thing and Kane blew through the uh, the entryway there, if there had been a concussion, we had the entire, uh, there were cage, like cyclone fence, cage netting on the entrance. And we had this uh, fire gel on that. And the de- the stuff was supposed to burn right when he came out. It's supposed to go up in flames and stay on fire for the whole rest of the, the time. And that didn't work. Um, we got like a little poof, and then it, it just kind of fizzled out. And then when King got in the ring and did the did the big gesture for the fire on the four corner posts, it's just so anticlimactic watching it today versus how it became with the big concussions and the big response and everything. I think it would have been a lot better if we had had that hindsight being 2020, but um, a lot of people listening when you say concussion, will think you're talking about CTE. Tell them what you mean. Well, a, a big boom. So when he makes the gesture for the fire and the fire goes off, you're a boom. Uh, that's a concussion. And the idea behind when Kane first came out from the entryway was to have a big boom and have the entire entryway be set on fire and continue to burn throughout the time that until Kane made his exit. It burned, it burned a little bit, but uh, not nearly like we wanted it to. Man, isn't there something about putting on a new outfit, getting on your new shirt like you like it? You just feel better. I don't know why, but it feels like a confidence booster when you got a shirt the way you like it, especially a new shirt. Wearing it out to the bars, wearing it to dinner with the wife, wearing it to work, wearing it to a guy's trip. I don't know. Something about your swagger. You get a little more pep in your step when you like your shirt and your shirt likes you. Well, let me tell you what's going on right now. I have hit a home run with folks in my life with Roan. The dress shirt was due for a radical reinvention, and our friends at Roma stepped up to the challenge. Roan's commuter shirt is perhaps the most comfortable, breathable, flexible shirt known to man. Everyone I've gifted to absolutely loves it. My younger friends, my older friends, my dad, everyone in between. And the reason is because of this four-way stretch fabric that Roan has perfected. It's the most comfortable, breathable, flexible. Like you can play a whole day of golf. Like you want to do 18 holes. Maybe you want to do 36. Maybe you want to go work and then go do the 18 holes. You can do it all in a Roan shirt. It's time to feel confident with a wrinkle-free shirt without the hassle. You see, looking good is easy. And with Roan's wrinkle release technology, wrinkles just disappear as you stretch and wear the shirt. It's that easy. How do you beat that? How about this too? It's odor-free. They've got gold fusion anti-odor technology 
So you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long. And on top of that, Roan is 100% machine washable. So you can ditch the dry cleaner altogether. This has been an absolute home run for me. I had a whole lot of gift giving to do, and I knocked it all out over at Roan. They've got something for everybody, some really cool stuff, lots of comfortable stuff, and all the cool colorways. Uh, Seriously, go look for yourself. I absolutely loved it. I think you will too. But what everybody's blown away with, whether it's my dad or Cassio Kid or any of my friends, they're all telling me, hey, man, I can wear this anywhere. Because it looks nice, but it's not uncomfortable. And that used to be a compromise we had to make. You know, our dress shirt, we didn't, as soon as work was over, we would take that off, right? Not anymore. Dude, it's a game changer. Go see for yourself. You're going to absolutely love it. Uh, it's going to work for work. It's going to work for after. It's going to work for the long weekend. The commuter shirt can get you through any work day and straight into whatever comes next. Head over to roan.com forward slash wrestle. And use promo code WRESTLE. Save 20% on your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to R-H-O-N-E dot com slash WRESTLE and enter the code WRESTLE. One more time, that's Roan.com forward slash WRESTLE, R-H-O-N-E dot com slash WRESTLE. It's time to find your corner office comfort. That's Roan.com forward slash WRESTLE. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford Anything, wherever you listen. I want to mention too, disaster strikes right after this, both Austin and the undertaker are hurt. And as a result, the company has to cancel three live events. As a reminder, they're setting records in some markets, but now literally your top two acts are down and out. This is like worst case scenario. Is it not? Yeah, absolutely sucks. And it's just absolutely snake bitten. What's uh, interesting here is the undertaker suffered an ankle injury. Uh, they think it's a uh, cracked ankle with some bone chips doing an angle on June 16th in Austin, Texas. It was a location that was supposed to be Paul bears house. And that's where he got hurt. Do you remember this injury where you're shooting some sort of outside on location footage and undertaker gets hurt? Yeah. He just, he basically turned his ankle and came down and fucked it up. So the next week on raw, they're, uh, they're doing this angle and Paul bear also suffers an ankle injury when undertakers throwing furniture around and something lands on him. Was there a backup plan for, you know, King of the ring 98, if undertaker wasn't ready to go, who would have been mankind's opponent? Would it have still been a hell in a cell? What would you have done differently? I don't know that we had a backup plan. And, and that was, you know, again, you, you go off of prognosis and diagnosis from doctors and um, hope everybody does what they're supposed to do and they're going to be able to go. And if not, if you don't have a promising plan, you, you don't go there. So they go on eighth. Everybody knows the match. It's the infamous hell in a cell from Pittsburgh, PA. I don't remember that one. What happened? Four and a half stars. Good God almighty. They killed him. Uh, where were you during the match? How freaked out was Vince? What can you tell us the little details? Maybe we haven't talked about before. Are you in gorilla next to Vince or what's, what's that look like? I was in gorilla. I don't know where the hell Vince was. 
Um, but I, I was at Gorilla for the whole thing because I remember distinctly looking for Pat Patterson uh, for the match. So I, I knew what was coming up next and I'm screaming for Pat. I'm all pissed off that he's not at Gorilla with me. And that's when I found out that uh, Louis Dondero had passed. It was oh, Pat's life partner. Yeah. And um, so now I'm looking, I'm watching the match through different eyes and just kind of like, holy shit. Um, you know, obviously the, the, the same story has been told over and over again, that, that from the, the cage up top, uh, not breaking like it was supposed to. And as, as we were told it would and mankind, you know, the worst bump was one from the top of the cage to the ring with the chair that came in and slid and knocked his teeth out and everything else. It was it was an amazing match. It was an amazing spectacle, but you know throughout it all, there, there's one of those those moments where you are looking at someone um, like Mick and thinking, oh my God, you know it's it's gone too far, and and you got to pull Mick back. You're, you're thinking, okay, he's not going to admit, but then Mick is pleading and Mick is telling everyone, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm going to go, and he goes back and gets in the match. I remember Terry Funk was was not happy um, during that match, uh, especially after the second bump and having to calm Terry down quite a bit. But um, yeah, it was, it was one of those, one of those moments. Yes. You definitely remember where you were and what took place. And then after the match, Mick coming up and, and uh, apologizing for not getting the thumbtack spot in as he had thumbtacks sticking out of him all over the place. So, and, and here's the funny thing: we were all worried about Taker's ankle going in you know, <laughs> into right. this thing. Yeah. What? Well, do you remember talking to Undertaker before or after that match? Yeah. What do you remember his takeaway being from that silliness? Well, I think silliness. I, I think you know was that they were trying to do something different, and Mick really wanted to, to take this one bump and. Uh, you know, every, everything was kind of laid out and it, it's unfortunate. Sometimes mistakes happen. And in this situation, you know, mistake happened. Dude, it was, it's such a spectacle. I mean, do you think that's, I think that's gotta be top five most recognizable matches in WWE history. I mean, I'm not comparing it to Hogan Andre, obviously a different type of spectacle, but when people bring up like famous WWE matches, that's gotta be top five, right? They bring, uh, break, they bring up any with me. I don't think so. Are you sure? That one time you beat that no. one guy with that furnace Navitz. Yeah, but I reversed it. I, you did the reverse double burnt. Yeah. Yes. I remember now. With the chase. Yeah. yeah um, this is not one of the, the, the biggest spectacles ever. By the way, they're not done here. I think history sort of forgets that both mankind and the undertaker come out and, and involve themselves in the main event. And at this point, they're both super injured. This is whew, a wild era, the wild, wild West almost, huh? It definitely was. This was, you know, kind of the beginning of, of anything goes and, and you know, Steve was red hot and it, it, you, you kept on having to look at, you know, how are you going to top this? How are you going to top that? 
As a reminder, the creative in the main event is Undertaker is going to save his brother later on in the night from lighting himself on fire and helps him win the title by hitting Steve Austin with a chair. And that causes him to bleed and lose. It's the first blood match. Austin did beat Kane the next night for the title, but it leads to Taker and Austin teaming up to face Kane and mankind at fully loaded. Is the idea here in booking them in a tag match like this? Hey, both of these guys are banged up, but we need them to sell pay-per-views. Let's put them in tag matches and, you know, maybe the other guys can sort of fill in the blanks for them. Yeah, hopefully it's less work. If you, if you got a couple partners, you know, it, it, it's, I'm sorry. I got a comment on the first blood match. Cause I, I remember in, I remember the particular incident, but I don't remember who the opponent was. I, I don't remember who it was, but Bill Watts had this finish one time where, and it's an old finish had been used before, but where first blood match and the one guy uh, is bleeding, let's say the heel is bleeding, but the heel then takes the baby faces towel and wipes his blood on it oh. and puts blood on, on the baby face and puts his blood on the towel. But in this particular instance, and God, I'm telling the story. I don't even know who the guys are that, that were in the, in the match, but the heel was still bleeding. The baby face clearly wasn't bleeding and Watts is uh, excuses to why we're well, because he, the baby faces towel was soaked with blood. So, you know, that it was the baby faces blood. But as a referee, you look, you turn around and you look and you see the baby face and his towel there, but then the heel's bleeding, but then you got to go, well, his towel's full of blood, so he must have bled first. You hated that finish. I hated that finish. Yeah, I can tell. Have you ever wished there was something out there that could improve your internet for better speeds and provide you a better overall experience? I mean, who doesn't want the internet on their phone to go faster sometimes, right? What if you could use more than one internet connection at the same time? Maybe like combining the hotel or coffee shop Wi-Fi and the cellular data on your phone and then get their combined speed and reliability? Well, it sounds too good to be true, but Speedify can do it for you. Speedify is the only app that can combine multiple internet sources into one bonded super connection to improve live streaming, video calling, gaming, web browsing, and everything else you do online. It runs in the background, it's simple to use, and it lets you combine any number or type of internet connections for better performance. You can use it on all of your devices, your PC, your Mac, your iPhone, your Android, even your Linux properties. And how about this? At its core, Speedify is also a VPN. That means it encrypts all of your web traffic to improve your safety and security. How do you beat this? What are you waiting for? You deserve better internet. Speedify can help you deliver it. Just download Speedify today at speedify.com slash wrestle. That's S-P-E-E-D-I-F-Y.com slash wrestle. Speedify.com slash wrestle. Speedify.com slash wrestle. Home run, guys. Check it out. You'll be glad you did. On the heels of this, now that the undertaker has been burned alive, uh, he's going to take some time off and, uh, I believe not only to heal some injuries, but he's got a, a sick parent. I think it was his dad. How important was it to, uh, grant the dead man this time off? I mean, he's like one of your most loyal soldiers. And if he needs a little time off, we figure a way to make it happen. Is that why we, uh, we wanted this spectacular fire? Well, it was also a way to keep Kane and undertaker apart prior to WrestleMania. 
you add into all of that the other issues that were going on, and his, his dad was not feeling well at the time, and, and Taker was looking to spend some time and help his dad out during this time, help his mom out uh, with his dad. So it was an optimum time, and it gave you good reason. You know what? Go, go heal up a little bit. Go take care of your business that you need to take care of, and when the time's right, we'll bring you back to WrestleMania, and people will be happy to see the dead man again. So the next night on Raw is a pretty famous Raw. It's where Austin is going to hold Vince McMahon hostage, but what is really forgotten is Taker and Kane have a rematch in a casket match. And this kind of starts the Kane babyface run, and now Bear is with Taker, which leads to a promo before the match. Here's the uh, the recap from The Observer. Undertaker came out with Paul Bear. They turned the guy so many times that nobody cares about him. He's got no cheers or boos. Now he's the one who set the fire after all, although now the fire only deformed poor Kane and the part about his parents dying in the fire has been forgotten. Undertaker's interview was almost as bad as the warrior interview as these storylines really make almost as little sense as WCW storylines. When did you sort of get loosey goosey with what really happened? Or in, in, in your opinion, is it, well, no, he's a heel. He's lying about what happened. You got to see through that. Oh yeah. Okay. But then again, do we really know what happened? No, we don't know. It'll take her mama. Well, we feel pretty strongly about that. And you know what, man, that funeral, that funeral part where I heard was just pretty loosey goosey. Really? Yeah. That's what I heard. Okay. Well, the other thing, young studly virgin esque Paul bear. He held it all together. The, uh, the other thing that's loosey goosey is the casket in this casket match. The match is over when, um, <clears throat> the casket breaks and that leads to the WWF tournament at survivor series. We're pretty excited about this, but it's reported in the, uh, dirt sheets, as you like to call them at the time that the undertaker has been dealing with back spasms, but he's really not missing any time and he's making all the house shows. Is this uh, more, Hey, Vince really needs him to make the shots or is the money so damn good? He didn't want to dare miss it. Taker Taker is an old timer, man. He's going to make it no matter what. And guys were built differently then. And the business was different. You didn't look, you didn't have the same kind of medical facilities that we have now. And it was, it was a different business. You're, You're talking many, many years ago. It was a different business with a different type of talent that was like, if I can walk, I'm going to make the show. Even if I can't walk and I'm in a wheelchair, I'm going to make the show. If I'm advertised, I'm going to make the show. I got to tell you, it freaking tickles me that you just said medical facility. Hey, I wanted to ask, you know, in this era, there's so many licensing opportunities because the WWF is just white hot. The undertaker gets a comic book which I didn't even really remember, but I found it in my research, but boy, talk about bad timing. He gets a comic book right after he turned heel shit. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, <laughs> well, no, it wasn't, it wasn't just taker. Like everybody, it was a comic book series that, you know, everybody kind of had their own version of the comic books and stuff. Let's get to survive. Takers was pretty damn cool though. Uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll see some uh, pictures on Twitter when our uh, show goes up, uh, survivor series, deadly game. It's taker versus Kane. 
Uh, they go seven minutes and 16 seconds. Uh, Meltzer would say that undertaker desperately needs time off. He's, he's hurting here and it's obvious he gives it a dud rating, but undertaker continues. But at this point, the physical limitations are on full display in the second round. Rock is going to beat undertaker by DQ and Meltzer would say there's no heat. Kane ran in, confronts the undertaker, then choke slams rock for the DQ. Therefore eliminating the undertaker. Undertaker hits Earl Hebner for making the call. And then they brawl into the crowd. A lot of protection for taker here, trying to do what they can, but we're really transitioning towards a change for the undertaker. When do you, when do you first remember the whole ministry of darkness version of the undertaker being pitched or presented? Uh, it, you know, it was something just to, and I believe that that was actually taker's idea to, to want to become a little bit more demonic and, and more evil. Um, looking at the character and we had taken care of that character for so many years that it was an opportunity to, to go on the dark side, if you will, and, and try to take it to the next level and and be a different presentation of the undertaker. Well, how's this for a different presentation? Undertaker and Paul bear kidnap stone cold and they go to embalm him in the run up to their buried alive match. <laughs> Were you shooting this? Is this this year? I did not shoot that. No, I didn't. Well, there's a infamous clip now where Bill Moody, AKA Paul bear is just screwing around. And so as Austin is laying on the slab and they're pretending like they're about to embalm him, he says, let's start here or whatever. And goes to pull down Austin's trunks. And Austin goes from playing like he's knocked out to wide awake. What the fuck are you doing? It's great stuff. You got to have a little living, a little ha ha. So let's talk about while we're here. It feels like we have, uh, been building to this moment as we're over an hour into the show, the match that changed everything. The undertaker gets a win over mankind. It officially goes about 16 minutes of this hell in a cell match. I don't know. I mean, there's no way for us to really just talk about the match without talking about everything that led up to it and the memories of the match. And I feel like now's one of those times where I'm just going to let you, I'm going to lay out and I'm going to let you talk about this from everything that was happening sort of behind the scenes that week. And then I'll chime in because this is one of those stories that people have been asking about for a long time. I mean, Mick Foley has made this part of his tour all year, the 20 years of hell tour. He's been doing comedy clubs across the nation. And I think he's even going to take it to Australia later. And it's all about this match. Really. It's maybe the most famous match in company history, certainly in this era. I mean, you might could say Andre Hogan was bigger, but that was a little before my time here. This is as big as it was. I mean, people are still making references to it in a way they don't talk about any other match. So let's start from the beginning. When did you first hear that they were going to do hell in a cell and sort of take us through all of this? Well, leading up to it, there was a lot of talk about doing at the time it was mankind and stone cold for the championship. And this would have been, had we gone with that match, it would have been, I believe the third time that Steven Mick Foley would have worked. And I just don't think that in a row on pay-per-view. Yeah. And, and there wasn't a I don't want to say there wasn't any confidence in it, but Vince McMahon didn't feel that that attraction for a third time was, was what we needed. And, and he wanted to do something different. He wanted to shake it up. 
and he wanted to do unpredictable in something nobody would ever call, which is what, what they did with Kane. So leading up to that, then you get, get to the point of, okay, then what the hell do you do with Mick? We built, been building Mick with Steve and then now Undertaker really doesn't have a dancing partner. So <clears throat> I think it was Vince McMahon who was like, why not do, you know, mankind and take her one more time, put him in the cage and put him in the confines of this monstrous cage and, and have that epic fucking match. Well, it's also mentioned, you know, Foley wrote about this, of course, in his book that Russo breaks the news to him. Quote, Cactus, we're just concerned the audience won't buy another match with you and Steve. And originally, this was supposed to be the blue off with Mankind Austin in the cage. So Mankind sort of assumes, okay, well, I'm out of the cell. And he gets good news from Russo. Oh, no, you're still in the cell. They're just going to do it with The Undertaker. But in Mankind's mind, Mick Foley's mind at the time, he's got to be not overjoyed with that either because he went from working with the, the tippy top guy who's got a staph infection to now the not as hot guy, but still a major guy, but a guy you've had six pay-per-view matches with. And oh, by the way, he can't walk. He's got a jacked up ankle. Right. And I think that Mick kind of felt, what the hell do I do now? And both guys, you know, Taker felt the same way. Taker kind of felt like, what else do we have to do? that we haven't already done and you put them in the cell. And now that raises expectations as, you know, there had been this Shawn Michaels and undertaker, great cell match that everybody is raving about. How do you top that? And that was Mick Foley's mindset is how in the fuck do I top what undertaker did with Shawn Michaels? So is, is legend has it, uh, I believe. And I'd always thought, it was a lot of Mick Foley, but it was Mick Foley and Terry Funk going back and just talking about what the hell can we do? What can I do to make this match different? How do we take this to the next level? And the funny thing was, was Mick after watching the match was kind of like, there's nothing we can do. What the fuck? How, how do you top this match? And as legend has, it was Terry Funk that said to him, start the match on top of the cage. Which, which, which you would think when you hear that, where the fuck do we go from there? You know, if we're starting yeah. on top, where do we go from there? Now, if you haven't watched the first hell in a cell, you really should go watch that because undertaker, Shawn Michaels really set a new precedent. I know you hate it, but Meltzer gave it five stars and that match is tremendous. We've covered it in our archive, something to wrestle.com. And even mankind would write in his book that when he watched this match with Terry, that Terry said, cactus, that's going to be difficult to beat. And so he suggests starting at the top. And I think everybody naturally thinks, well, where do you go from there? God damn kid. Just get on the top of the fucking cage. Start it up there. Make that big bastard chase you. Well, not, not only where the hell do you go from there? My first question when I'm hearing is how the fuck do you even get there at the beginning? You, you got to get there at some point. Um, and when I heard, heard what they had laid out, it's kind of like, okay, then what? 
you, you throw him off the cage. He takes this great bump. That should be the end. That's the finish. Where the fuck do you go from there? And when Mick says, we're going to climb back up and go back up to the top. But you just got thrown off through a fucking table. Then what? We're going to go through the cage. Wait a minute. You're starting on top of the cage. You're getting thrown off. Then you're going to climb back on top of the cage. You can completely kill the bump that you just fucking took. Yep. And then you're going to go through the fucking cage. Yep. To the ring. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just don't fucking get it. But as they laid it out and and you start you start talking about it you, the way when you tell somebody like i just told you it's like okay start on top then we're gonna have a fight on top of the cage i've got a fucking chair king cancun boom big bump off the fucking top boom go carry him out you come down off the cage they think i'm done i come back jump up on the fucking top of the cage we go again this time you choke slam me through the fucking cage it doesn't make sense However, when you watch how they did it and the time, when Mick Foley took the initial bump, the first bump off the top of the fucking cell, he didn't move. He just laid there like a sack of shit and did not fucking move. Jim Ross's call on that was, oh my God, he's broken in half. Good God, he's broken in half. You believed it. And the way that they shot it and got off of it, shot it and got off of it, because it gave you the impression that, oh, my God, he's not moving. He could very well be dead. And that was a scary thing. And Mick took it so damn well that no one really knew, other than Terry when he got down there and made sure he was okay. But Mick separated his fucking shoulder on the bump. And he thought that was, oh, well, that's okay. I just I just separated my shoulder. Then they go through and, and everybody talks about all that the you know the bump, everybody thinks that bump uh from the top of the cage through the table, what a horrific bump is. The bump, the scary bump, the bad bump was the bump he took off the top of the cage onto that fucking concrete ring that we used to have. And that wasn't supposed to happen that way either. The initial, the original idea behind the bump in the ring was when they got back up to the top of the cage that they fought on top of the cage until Taker picks Mick up and goes to, to slam him through the cage. And when he choke slams him, a little bit of the cage gives and you see it give. And Taker looks down and Mick's there and he picks Mick back up, takes him back up again, and choke slams him a second time. And more of the cage gives. And the people are watching and they're seeing the, the cage start to sink from the top and, and Foley's body weight is starting to come down and shit. And Taker reaches over and fucking on that third time, hopefully, and now he crashes through. But it wouldn't have been the bump from the top of the cage. It would have been probably about the equivalent of maybe right about the top rope of the cage by the time for the third time. And, and the thought was that cage would have broken his fall. 
Everybody saw what happened. First time, the cage was gimmicked, and it didn't break away like they thought it would. It just went. And add on top of that, there's the chair being up on the cage panel that Mick took the bump through and just followed Mick right down and smashed right into his face, knocked his teeth out. Um, it was brutal. And anybody that's taken a bump in those old WWF rings, they were the stiffest things. It, it was, I'd rather take a bump on the concrete than those old rings. So it was a little snug. Man. And Taker standing up there thinking, oh shit. He ain't moving again. So here comes Terry Funk. Here comes the doctors. Here comes the referee. And everybody's trying to talk to Mick. And Mick is out of it. Completely out of it. But he's going on just pure adrenaline at this point, telling everybody, um, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. And once Taker up on top kind of, gets a sign that it's like, okay, he's okay. And Taker jumps down and you see him. He's favoring that ankle pretty good when he jumps down from the top of the cage. But to give Mick even more time to get his bearings, Terry Funk fed in and got choke slam right out of his shoes. Which, again, thank God for Terry Funk being down there. But a lot of that shit, like Vince coming down to check on Mick, that wasn't, that wasn't part of it. Vince was genuinely concerned. Like, is he okay? I have to know. And wanted to be there. It was some scary shit because we didn't, you know, we really didn't know. You see, he's moving. And I'm talking to people and saying, is, is Mick okay? And they're going, yeah, he says he's fine. You can't be fine after that. I don't give a fuck who you are or what you are. But, uh... Man, they continued on with the match and went another another little while, including thumbtacks, which the line of the night for me after the match was Mick Foley coming up to me and apologizing to me for forgetting the thumbtack spot. Oh. Said, I'm so sorry, Bruce. I, I totally forgot the thumbtacks. I'm so sorry. But but other than that, was it okay? Now, he's got thumbtacks stuck all over him. I said, Mick, you got the thumbtacks in. He says, I did? I'm like, you got the thumbtacks in, man. He goes, oh, okay, good. Good. Ages. Um, probably early in that week. But again, you know, the, the, the one bump going off off the cage onto the announce table I guess was as safe as you can make something like that. And the second bump was meant to be something else. And that was, that was something that just, just went wrong. It was supposed to be work at it, work at it, work at it. And then it finally gives. And he like is hanging on as it falls, not just breaking right. It through. Right. Cause nobody would have wanted. I mean, <laughs> no one in their right mind would ever take that bump uh, from the top of the cage like that. Well, it is something that people still talk about because a lot of people debated, well, you can see the zip ties. Clearly it was supposed to break, but you're saying not like that. It was supposed to break, but in time, not on the very first contact with it. Correct. It was supposed to gradually give until like about the third choke slam to where he would finally go through, but the cage would be breaking his fall 
a long way. You know, what's weird is when I watched this match back this week, it's the first time I've watched it in a long time. And I guess I'm just getting older now and it sort of clicked in my brain. Like what if he missed that table? It's not like earlier in the day, you know, I know sometimes before a big pay-per-view, if somebody's like, Oh, I want you to do like a reverse power bomb or something. They, they do a walkthrough. There's no walking through throwing yourself off the fucking cage. Like there, you're just doing it. And it's not, I mean, I know that he had had a lot of experience jumping off the ring apron to the concrete floor. I get it. But the distance you're going, the height you're up, you know, and it, it, it's not like you got a spot on the concrete. You're really trying to hit. If you get a little bit of a guy or you get all of a guy, it doesn't matter. I mean, this is different. This is much higher and something he's never done before. What if he missed? What if he hit the people, you know, the Spanish announced team? What if he hit the guardrail? What if he hit the concrete? Mick Foley could very easily be dead from that spot or certainly paralyzed. Well, and Mick was in complete control of the, of the bump the whole way. So at that point you have to look at him and have the confidence in him to either do it or not. And he's the one that's taking the risk and he's the one that, that has looked at it and feels that he can pull this off. Um, I, you know, we I, had, I we had the had table confidence and I get when you're saying he's in control, I understand that undertaker's not throwing him off, but I am saying you're leaving it up to a guy's judgment to hope that he's right on something he's never done before. And if he's wrong, you've just had a death on pay-per-view, like a horrific accident on pay-per-view. You can say that about any bump and you can say that about, uh, you can say that about anything. And unfortunately there, there have been horrific accidents that have happened on much simpler bumps. So let me, let that me, that's every day. Those guys take that risk. Let me ask. And this. it was a risk. And I think everybody knew it was a risk. I don't, you know, this is a weird question. I ask if the Owen accident had happened before this, there's no chance this bump happens, right? I don't think so. No. It's just weird to think about how so much of everything changes after those two things you know, this bump and which is obviously scripted and then a very real tragedy, but really a couple of things go differently here. And this could have been totally different in his book. Foley wrote about this, that cactus was sort of pitched this idea jokingly by funk. Maybe you should start on top and just let him throw you off. And he says it jokingly and Foley sort of jokes back. Oh, and then I can climb back up and he could throw me off again. And eventually he decides, wait, I think I can really do this. And he spends the next week or two trying to pitch the undertaker on less starting up top and undertaker shoots it down every time. And then eventually he says to cactus, why are you so intent on killing yourself up there? And Foley wrote that he answered because I'm afraid the match is going to stink. You can't walk and let's face it. I don't have any heat. We've got a heck of a legacy to live up to, and I don't want this match to ruin it. If we start out hot enough, we can make the people think we had one hell of a match, even if we didn't. Eventually, the Undertaker comes around to the idea. Did you have a conversation with Undertaker about climbing to the top of the cage with this hurt foot and then throwing a motherfucker off? Because even though we understand wrestling and Foley's really going to 
he's going to do it himself. The perception would certainly be different if this went poorly and it would affect the undertaker. And this is somebody he cares about who he's done a lot of business with. Who's doing this. Did you have a conversation before or after the match with undertaker? Well, I had a lot of conversations with both Mick and undertaker before the match just and and frankly, after the match, just thinking, <sighs> think about what they were trying to top. They were trying to top Shawn Michaels from the middle of the hell in a cell, standing on a cross beam, taking that bump into the announcer's table, which was absolutely spectacular at the time. And Mick feeling he had to top that so that people wouldn't think the match sucked. And that's the part that, that always would get me. It's like, then what? <laughs> okay. Then how do we top that? And we, and we found ourselves in that position, you know, to where, when, uh, Mick and Hunter were on top of the cage and Mick took the bump again through the top of the cage, but we had the, the ring gimmick so that he went through it and it was completely safe. And we did practice that. And we did make sure that went as planned beforehand. But it, it's, yeah, it's crazy, man. It was a different business. And guys, a lot of times they look at that and like you look at Mick Foley's legacy and that's in so many ways, that's his legacy. That bump, that night. Um, fact that he kept going and he was out of it. And the fact that, you know, when he comes back, he convinces all of us, no, got my bell rung, but I'm okay. I can go out, my shoulder's out, but but the doctor popped it back in. I'm fine. It's an easy spot that I got to go out and do with Steve. I've got it. I'm fine. That wouldn't happen today either. No, we haven't even gotten to that part. It's just crazy to think about that. He came back out. He does sort of freestyle in the book that quote, I had missed the monitors, which was my biggest concern. Can you imagine if he'd have hit the fucking monitor? It never even crossed my mind until I read that in the book again this week. Well, the way that the monitors were in there for that, and if the if the top had been off, that would have been an issue. But it was, it, that part of it was actually safe because of the way they were positioned. There was no monitor in the middle, and they were on the outside, and they were gimmick to go. And then later on, we just guys would get rid of them, which I always thought was silly. Why would you throw, if you're going to put a guy through a table, why are you throwing the monitors out of the way for a smooth, nice, even, flat finish? or a flat, flat bump. If you want to hurt somebody, leave the monitors there. Um, but actually that part of it was really to me, the least of the worries to me, the, the worry was he hits that table and slid, you know, and just slid right off the damn thing. And as you say, either went into the barricade, went into the people. Um, there were just a lot of things that a lot of what ifs that you knock on wood and you thank God didn't happen. And then the shit that was supposed to happen that did, you know, the, the, the other bump is like, fuck me. That's you, crazy. You know, Foley is critical of the way he took that choke slam, the one that put him through the cage, because he says it's the only time he didn't go high for an undertaker choke slam. Understandably he's hurting here. I mean, he, he, Thank had, to, God. he had to climb the cage, you know, as you said, with a separated shoulder, which is probably not easy at 300 pounds. And so when he's finally up there, I mean, he just can't get up for him. So he winds up just falling into the cage. 
but he says that if he had went high, he's worried that he would have over rotated and landed on his head. I mean, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's to the point that Foley even wrote in his book, he asked the undertaker, Hey, what'd you think when you looked down from the top of the cage and saw me on the mat? And he says, undertaker didn't skip a beat and said, I thought you were dead. That's just scared shitless. And what's weird too is, you know, when the undertaker finally gets down there, he says, Jack, let's go home. And Foley wrote that he said, no, no, I'm okay. Which is just amazing. Um, right. He's so out of it. He was, he's even asking the referee was I already on the stretcher once tonight. Yes. I mean, obviously we don't know back then what we know now about head injuries. I mean, this would never happen, but it, it's just unbelievable. And, and you even referenced the whole, sorry, I forgot the thumbtacks thing. When he comes to the back, is there like a standing ovation? What's the reaction when he comes through the curtain? I mean, this oh is something like out of a movie. Yeah. You know, Taker and Vince were right there for him and, and just hugged him. And it was definitely a standing ovation because it was an unbelievable performance and people were concerned first of all for his well-being thinking how in the hell is he walking um how did, how did he get up you know when he had the tooth up his nose crazy well we thought it was snot you know what's funny we thought it was a big loogie i watched this match this week and my person saw it for the first time and she said is that his tooth in his nose. Yes. Yeah. How did we thought there? it was snot at first. How did it get there? The hard way. It's crazy. Right through his lip. This person's still alive. It's amazing. Yeah. It, it's, it's, you know, I, I like to point <laughs> as much as I love Mick. Uh, I like to point to some of the things Mick has done to young guys and say, don't, you don't need to do this. And Mick didn't need to do it. He really didn't. You know, when he's in the back and I guess we should talk about him because we have it here. You guys had like a chiropractor that people have asked a lot of questions about over the years who was help adjusting guys. What's his role here in trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again? Francois Petit. And Francois Petit, uh, was a, he was a hybrid of a chiropractor, a kinesiologist. He did all these, a lot of different crazy things, but people with a lot of athletes with unique injuries would often go to Francois and he would put them back together, um, manipulate their joints and their bones and everything. And, um, man, I've never been adjusted by anybody like, like Francois. I mean, he would hurt you. It hurt. But afterwards, she felt better. Um, and he liked, you know, we called him Dr. Dr. Petit or Francois. He was Sub-Zero in the uh, Mortal Kombat movie franchise. And he was a stunt coordinator, things like that. More than anything, he was pretty much a crazy motherfucker. But he would pop guys back into place. I broke my ankle one time. He set my ankle, wrapped it, and I was done. And I could walk on the damn thing. 
he was amazing like that. It, it was hard to explain. There, there were stories about him doing, okay, now don't laugh, him doing open-heart surgery on people and repairing arteries without obviously opening them up just with his hands. And he would go in and do bypass surgery on people. That's real life. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Th- those were the legends of Francois Petit. But but guys would go and they would spend a couple days at his place in California. And that's how, you know, we came about him because he was putting people back together. And we thought, well, instead of having guys go to him, let's bring him to us. And those that want to use him can use him as a chiropractor and to help them with their injuries and help them rehab and different things like that. So, but he could, yeah, he could pop a shoulder back in. He, it was always like, let me reduce it. I can reduce it. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, Vince Russo was a big fan of old Francois. Russo would go out and spend vacation and weeks out with Francois in California and tells a great story about Francois racing Warren Beatty on, uh, the sunset strip somewhere in California, but he was, he was this, this crazy, crazy doctor. The real doctor that we had was Dr. Frank Rome Scavage. And that was the guy with the long hair at the very end of it. And they point him out. That's Dr. Rome Scavage. He was the real doctor that was there that actually stitched Mick up and 14 stitches in the lip he got. And I assume that's also who's pulling the thumbtacks out of his person. That was Dr. Romascavage and Francois both, yeah, with with pliers, little needle nose pliers, one by one. Process what we're talking about right here. So there's even footage of McMahon going to congratulate him and thank him for everything he's done for the company. But he says something like, promise me I'll never see you do anything like that again. Did you have a conversation with Vince after the match? Or do you remember what the interaction was? I mean, it feels like there's some sort of edict that has to come down. Like we've let this shit go too far. No more. Well, not only the, yes, there was. And it was also Vince recalling one of the reasons that he didn't want to hire cactus Jack in the first place was because of the stuff that cactus used to put his body through and he, that Vince felt was unnecessary. So the fact that Vince let him do that and he's kind of looking at himself in the mirror and says, damn it. We, we can't, you know, I mean, he took responsibility for it. He goes, I can't let him do that self to him, do that to himself anymore. So it was brutal. A lot of soul searching. And we're not done as if that's not, as if that's not enough. Uh, Kane's out next and he's taking on Steve Austin in a first blood match. Now this is interesting because it's a first blood match and one of the guys is completely covered arms, legs, hands, face. It's a first blood match. And the other guy, while he is the hottest star in the business, he's just spent three days in the hospital. Pretty crazy to think about Vince McMahon is watching this from the owner's box with Sable on his arm and in the middle of the match, the cage starts coming down and it gives the illusion that McMahon is behind it and eventually, oh, I guess we should mention here. What is the stipulation 
if Kane doesn't win his world title shot here, obviously if Austin loses, Kane becomes world champion. What if Kane loses? What happens? Bro, we're going to cover him in gasoline and set him on fire. And then he's gone forever. It's a good step. You help me understand how Vince McMahon co-signs this. God damn it, pal. We're not going to actually do it. That's how. I don't understand. <laughs> We're not going to do it. God damn. It's entertainment. It's unbelievable is what it is. You guys had a set a motherfucker on fire step, which is just crazy. The mask is three and a quarter stars. There is some, some fun stuff to watch here. One of the times when the cage is going up, Kane is laying, laying across it, teeter tottering, <laughs> yeah. which is kind of fun to see a seven footer do that. Uh, they're brawling everywhere. As we mentioned, Austin's fresh out of the hospital. He's got the elbow wrapped up. He's working with a staph infection here. Eventually, unbelievably mankind runs down to interfere with a chair. Eventually the undertaker shows up too, and he's limping along and they're playing dueling chairs. And mankind ducks a chair shot, which causes the undertaker to hit Austin, who also had a chair. And then immediately Austin does the, the gimmick and he is pouring blood like a major, major, I mean, he hit a vein <laughs> and in the middle of all this, the undertaker goes and gets gasoline. This is real <laughs> life folks. The undertaker gets my gasoline favorite part. and he doesn't pour it on Kane. He says, fuck this. And he poured it on the Hebner's. I don't know if maybe he got the Iggy that the Hebners were making fake merchandise or what, but he poured him full of gasoline. And now Austin's bleeding a river. And eventually everybody gets a stunner and the referee comes to, and you think that Austin's going to win, but he sees Austin pouring blood. It's a first blood match. He calls for the bell. Your winner, new WWE champion, Kane. Yes. God damn it. Good shit. And actually, when you watch, when you watch it back, that was some pretty good shit. When you, you think about the peril that you put your champion in, having a first blood match with a guy that's covered head to toe with a leather mask, his none of his extremities are exposed. Not one. He's, he's talking with a voice box to his throat. Um, we could have cut his throat. Maybe. And if he bled there, that no shit. The thing went up his neck too. Forgot about that. Process but, what you just said. We could have cut his throat. He just well, flippantly just threw that out there. Well, it could happen. Dude, dude, dude. So you put your champion in such peril that the odds are astronomical to overcome, but they're not going to put the title on this big red monster. So it was, it was kind of must see, it's a must-see event because what? how do you get out of it? And that's how we got out of it. Serious business. It is something nobody saw coming. Austin is the hottest act there is. And we should remember, and this is sort of funny too, that it all sort of surrounds the Hell in a Cell. Of course, the Hell in a Cell was first put on the map at Bad Blood in October of 97. The match is Undertaker and Shawn Michaels, and Kane interferes. 
That's where Kane makes his debut. Now, fast forward eight months, and what do you know? Undertaker's in a hell in a cell, but now the cell's involved, and he interferes in Kane's match, and Kane becomes world champion. It's weird the way it all sort of ties together, and Paul Bear is in the middle of all of it, and we see a shot of Vince McMahon as the pay-per-view goes off the air. And it's sort of interesting because Meltzer sort of freestyles that giving that shot to Vince McMahon at the end of the show sort of gives him the credit for the title instead of take, you know, having all that heat on Kane, Paul bear or the undertaker. Is he overthinking it? Yeah, he's overthinking it, but that's where the heat was, was on Vince. And I think that the, to me, the most amazing thing about the, this match and this night is I'm sitting there watching it was old timer. You go, how in the hell do you follow the hell in a cell match that we just saw? How do you follow that? And not remembering it all. And I'm watching Matt Kane and Austin came out and had that crowd red hot. They were just on fire no pun intended, for Stone Cold Steve Austin. They they were into every single thing they did. There was no air taken out of the building. The crowd was into it from start to finish, and nobody predicted that outcome that night. No, I mean, I don't think anybody did. I mean, it is a pretty big moment. I mean, Kane's only been in the company a handful of months. He's the world champion. He's beat the hottest guy. Austin's bleeding like a stuck pig. It's something else, man. I don't even know how to describe this match when you think about all the stuff that's going on, the fucking gasoline and everything in between. And as if that wasn't enough, as crazy as it is, Foley came back out. Yeah. Yeah. And took, and, and took a stunner. Unbelievable. Let's get to, uh, Twitter. We asked you to ask some questions about King of the ring, 1998. It's one of the most historic shows in history. So we were not, at a loss for questions here, Bruce. Are you ready? Ready. John wants to know how far back was the plan for Kane to have a one day title reign? Did they come up with it that day? Or was it always the plan to pop a big rating the next night with Austin winning the title back? Once they, once they booked the match, uh, the way they booked the match, and that was probably about two or three weeks out. That was the plan. Efron wants to know whose idea was it for the sale to come back down during the Austin Kane match? originally I think it was Pat Patterson's idea to, to bring it back down, thinking that you're going to get him get a second cell match. You know, what if, and they did it. Uh, Goolidge wants to know how was Steve Austin supposed to draw first blood with Kane since he had a mask and had his entire body covered. That was the exact question we wanted people to ask. And if anybody could have figured it out, stone cold could have. What are the, um, questions i have we start building towards of course the this undertaker boss man situation so the next night on raw boss man test and shamrock are taking on the acolytes and midian but it ends in a no contest when the undertaker and ministry come out and viscera and the brood come out with an unconscious shane and they present him to the undertaker who says vince probably doesn't care about his boy anyway and then taker gives shane what looks like an envelope and says this is from the lord of darkness and it's for Vince. Uh, for the rest of February into March, it's all boss man undertaker 
on the house shows. How did those guys get along sort of behind the scenes? They got along great behind the scenes. And if you ask me, I thought that the undertaker boss man matches themselves were pretty damn good for two big guys that could go. The, the whole angle was about getting to getting to Vince and the, the whole undertaker turn and all that other good stuff with, with Austin and the bear and Stephanie and so on and so forth. So it was kind of a means to an end, but it was the, the matches themselves with taker and, and boss man straight matches were actually good shit. Let's talk about what's next. March 8th, boss man is attacked by the ministry and they tie him to the undertaker symbol. This looks an awful lot like a crucifixion. Did you guys get any bad feedback for this from the fans, the USA Network? What was the backlash from this? Well, for people that thought it looked like a crucifixion, it just looked like a big Undertaker symbol to me. Oh, my gosh. It's a big Undertaker symbol. It's a symbol. God damn, where are your heads? March 22nd, Bossman Shamrock Test. Uh, they team up to take on the Undertaker and the Acolytes, but the mask gets thrown out in about two minutes. Uh, Bossman hits Taker in the head with a nightstick, but he still sits up afterwards, and that gets us to WrestleMania 15, which we've covered in long form on the archives, and this match in particular had us tickled, man. It's Bossman in a Hell in a Cell match with the Undertaker. The match gets a fucking dud. But man, the silliness with this, tell us your version here, Bruce. Let's get the cliff notes version of this story. It was terrible. I mean, it, it just, it, it just was absolutely terrible to the, the payoff of this whole thing was to hang a man in the hell in a cell. And for people that have seen it as a visual that, that just, will be etched in your mind forever. But at the end of the match, Taker goes over and now let's hang boss man and, and send him into the heavens. So you got the brood up on top. They're rappelling down on top of the cage. They throw down the noose and you don't actually see it on camera, but undertaker goes down and hooks boss man who is wearing a harness under his wrestling gear they hook up the harness and then put the noose around his neck, which is actually hooked to a harness, so there's never any strain on Boss Man's neck, obviously. And then raise him to the ceiling to hang him, and that was supposed to be the visual. But the way that the harness fit and the way that that stuff always works, if you're not in a really darkened, uh, theatrically lit place, is his shoulders are up around his ears, and he's being hoisted to the top of the building. Add on top of that, I don't know if it was Edge or Christian, but one of them had not gotten completely all the way up to their perch above the cage as the cage is raising. So it was a debacle on in every sense of the word. The audience sat in stunned silence, wondering, what in the hell am I looking at? It made no sense. It was bad is just about the only way I can, I can describe it. And I remember Taker coming back through the curtain afterwards with his head down like that was the drizzling shits. Actually would have had to improve a lot to just be the drizzling shits. WrestleMania 15, the, the full story here, the silly nonsense of hanging a fucking guy. Um, you can check this out in the archive, something to wrestle.com. I don't know what else we can say about it here. 
Yeah, you got to see it to really understand the uh, the putrid hate. I guess it's worth mentioning that uh, he's back working right away. <laughs> so it's a Roadrunner cartoon because they hung a motherfucker, and he's he's right back working. April third, he's even in Yorkshire, England, working with uh, Steve Austin for a world title match. On the April twelfth edition of Raw, it looks like uh, the Big Boss Man has an opportunity to challenge for the Intercontinental Title. And Godfather offers him some hose for his chance to uh, give up his intercontinental title match against Goldust. And Bossman takes him up. He wants all five of the hose, and Godfather makes it happen. So he steps in Bossman's place and actually wins the intercontinental title. That's a fun fucking angle right there. A guy taking, giving up his title shot for hose. Pimpin' ain't easy, dog. Uh, April 19th on Raw, they do a no-holds-barred match where Shamrock beats Bossman. And through the rest of uh, April, we see Austin and Big Show teaming up to beat Bossman and Rock. And that gets us to Backlash on April 25th. Kane would pin the uh, big Bossman in two minutes and 45 seconds with a choke slam after Bossman accidentally collided with Test in the process. Meltzer hated the match, says it's really bad. Uh, and then I guess we'll fast forward to May 10th on raw. There's a coal miners glove match with boss man and test Bruce. What the fuck? 1999, a coal miners glove match. Is this smoky mountain? What's happening? Well, they still got coal miners and don't the coal miners all wear them dangerous gloves with metal on them. And God, if you, God forbid you get that. And if you can climb that pole and use that, you can bloody your opponent and beat him to a bloody pulp, man. It's a colloquial gimmick that works, I guess, where they had coal miners and shit. But and you try and, and take it. But again, here we are. What year are we at? Nineteen ninety eight. Nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine, and we're having a coal miners glove match. Um, what the fuck? I'm gonna go with the what the fuck on this one. That doesn't make any sense. It's just silly shit. Let's talk about the over the edge pay-per-view briefly. Bossman is in an elimination tag match here, teaming with Bradshaw, Farouk, and Viscera as they take on Mankind, Big Show, Ken Shamrock, and Test. Mankind eliminates the big boss man, but of course that's not what anybody remembers. Uh, they remember what happened with Owen that day. What was the relationship like with Bossman and Owen? It feels like these guys would have been best of friends. They were friends, and, and it was you know just a tough night for everybody, and much less having to be the, the first ones to go out right after you know this accident took place. But it, it was it was a hard night, and I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Yeah, that's a fun deal to uh, think about the fun memories with Owen, but not so fun to sort of talk about this. Let's keep it moving. Sunday Night Heat, May 25th, is X-Pac beating Big Boss Man in King of the Ring qualifying match. Let's fast forward to June 14th. It's supposed to be a blindfold match on Raw between Boss Man and Test, but Boss Man attacks him as soon as he puts the blindfold on, which I think is awesome. Uh, leads to a DQ. Well, the, the blindfold match, the coal miner's glove match, uh, it, this, I mean, what the fuck? What's going on here in 99? Gotta have gimmicks, bro. For TV, you got to do something different, and people like the gimmicks. Now, usually when you get a gimmick, there's a reason for a gimmick, and you have a reason to do the shit you're doing. There was no rhyme or reason to a lot of the gimmicks and why we were doing the damn things. That was the issue. And 
it was gimmicks for gimmicks sakes too often that it didn't make sense. And that's what hurt. And well, I do, I actually like the blindfold match and I, I think it was, it may have been me that was like, why didn't he just attack him? He's a, he, he's a heel. As soon as he gets blindfolded and beat the shit out of him, kind of going towards the attitude era. You know, we don't care. And if you're not going to care, nothing's going to mean anything, then fuck it. Beat the shit out of him. And that's what we did. Raw on June 21st has Austin Bossman with Shawn Michaels as the ref. And the stipulations here are if Austin wins, he gets to decide what the stipulation for the King of the Ring match, where he takes on both Vince and Shane is. And of course, Austin wins. Uh, let's fast forward. July 19th, we would see Al Snow beat the big boss man by DQ in one second when boss man hit him with a foreign object as soon as the match starts. And now we're going to head towards fully loaded on July 25th. We would see boss man win the hardcore title from Al Snow in 10 minutes and 13 seconds. Uh, what a crazy match that this was. They're brawling all over the place. Um, there's even a spot where, you know, they're hitting each other with, uh, plants, not like a, a fake fan, but like fucking shrubbery. Um, <laughs> it's just phenomenal. Ficus trees, bulldogs on the pavement, just all over the building here. It gets a star and a quarter in the observer. What'd you think? I mean, how did Ray, you know, take to these hardcore matches? Was he a fan of these? Did he hate it? Did he enjoy it? Do you think it was fun? What's he thinking of these hardcore matches? Yeah, at this point, it, it was fun and it was something to do. And he was involved in something. Yeah. Let's talk about the raw on December 12th. The show would open with Rikishi pinning the undertaker. And this is in an era when you really don't see the undertaker lose a lot on TV. Uh, but he did here. And of course there's some interference from Kurt Angle, but still, uh, it's a big deal to get a win over the undertaker. I should mention too, that we're on our way here to, uh, the pay-per-view Armageddon. And this is an interesting Armageddon because we've got a hell in a cell with a ton of dudes, Kurt Angle, the rock, Steve Austin, Rikishi, triple H and the undertaker, six guys inside of hell in a cell they go 32 minutes and 20 seconds and this has got an interesting bump here you know we've already set a precedent with these hell in the cells we've seen some spectacular matches with the undertaker Shawn michaels and of course the undertaker and mankind and here we want a big spectacle so at 11 minutes and 30 seconds, Vince McMahon backs a truck to the ring. Patterson and Briscoe are with him and a worker attaches a chain to the door of the cage. And then the truck drove away, ripping the cage door off completely. And then Vince orders them to take the entire cage down. Foley's music plays out. They come. They're cutting promos back and forth. Eventually, you know, what's coming. Rikishi takes a giant bump off the cage and into the bed of the truck, which I guess is filled with sawdust. What the fuck is this? To my surprise, Meltzer gave it four and a quarter stars. You got all the stars in the world, but we're taking bumps off the cage into a truck bed filled with salt. What the fuck is this? Well, I hated it. Um, 
I guess a lot of people loved it. I hated it because to me, it fed into that we've got we've got to top ourselves with the Mick Foley bump. You know, we've got a the Shawn Michaels bump and the Mick Foley bump. What are we going to do? What's the next big bump we're going to do? It's hell in a cell. You got to have a big bump. Um, and I'll, I'll we'll definitely hear about it if it wasn't him. Uh, but I think it was Michael who suggested, what if Rikishi took a big bump off the top of that son of a bitch? Which is an interesting idea. My fear was how the hell do you get him up there? Because that's a hell of a feat. That's hard for a, a guy that's in great shape uh, to get up that damn hell in a cell and get up and work on top of that cage. So getting Rikishi on top of the cage to me was, well, that's hurdle number one. How the fuck do we get the big bastard up there? And then that's a, that's a scary bump. And the way that they wanted to do it was, was pretty much a backwards bump, which is scary as hell because you, you can't see where you're going and you're not turning your body. It's, it's, uh, everything had to be right. And they rehearsed it, they did it, and, and all that shit, everything was cool, and, and it was all fine, but it was still, to me, scary. And Junior was, was cool with it, and he, he went up and, and did it, and everything was fine. But, and it was totally safe. I mean, they had the crash pads and all that other bullshit in there, but it was still scary, just to me, because you're falling backwards for shit, 18 feet. Fuck that. Rikishi said during the day when they did a rehearsal, they came out and used a big truck with no rails. But during the pay-per-view, now it's a smaller truck with rails. And he said when he saw that, he was scared. And allegedly, right before he takes the bump, he looks at Undertaker and says to tell his family that he loves them. Uh, Hypothetically, I know this is challenging stuff to get through here. He's still got a, a, a a bad lower back. And he credits that to this bump because he was really, really sore, uh, following this. And he says that he could have wrestled a TV if they needed him, but he assumed that he would be able to, uh, rest the back a little while. And in storyline, you say that he had a lacerated kidney. What do you remember about the fallout from this back bump? Well, first of all, I didn't want him back on TV soon after that bump anyway. (laughs) When you do these incredible spots and you do these big stunts, then you should sell it. You spent, we spent so much time building up to that big spot. I feel that we should have taken a lot more time to allow it to be sold and make it mean something. That was my take on it. And when he took the bump, uh, yeah, I could see him injuring his back. Uh, Fuck that shit. It was, that's absolutely brutal. And he needed the time to take off and just kind of recoup because taking that bump, if you're a 150 pound man, much less a 400 pound man, fuck, that's, that's going to jar you some. Hypothetically, to get a big bonus for taking a big spot like that. I would imagine he would. I could imagine them definitely, you know, taking care of him on that. And you always wanted to ask this in the Hardy Boys book. They mentioned they pitched a tag team Hell in a Cell match against Edge and Christian for WrestleMania 2000. Do you remember this? And was it ever actually considered? I don't. Um, I do remember those guys pitching a Hell in a Cell match. Uh, 
the four of them, I don't remember which ones, and party say it was them, probably was them, because they were always pitching stuff. But that was um, obviously something that didn't happen, and I don't think that that would have been, I don't know, it would have been a bit wrong as far as those two teams in a Hell in a Cell. Hell in a Cell was still kind of just pretty special and, and it had a finality to it. And by no means did the Hardys and the Edge of Christian at that time have finality to it. Maybe they thought they did, and maybe in a way they did. Is why, like, this is a bad attempt at tie-dye. Well, many years ago, the wife tried to tie-dye this, and basically it just came out orange and yellow, and every time I wear it, people tell me, hey, man, what's that shit all over your shirt? And uh, just a really poor attempt at uh, tie-dyeing. So, uh, bad Colorado Springs this week. Uh, next week, going to be in San Diego in Phoenix. And looking forward to that as well. What the hell's going on in Raw? Live cut-in. Uh, always hated those live cut-ins because nine times out of ten, the announcer in the arena would screw it up somehow. All right, we're going to be going live. We're all live. Oh, three, two, one. Just got to be kind of. So nine minutes early. I can hear Dave Silva now going, but amigo, you're really early. Nobody's on yet. I told them seven o'clock central. Let's say o'clock Eastern. That would be um five o'clock Pacific. What the hell? Did I watch NXT UK takeover? I'm not. I have not watched it yet. Um Tony Storm, though. I have seen Tony Storm, and I do think Tony Storm's a hell of a uh, hell of a talent, man. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on, right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> Those Weekend Golf Guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.